Hey, good morning to everybody here in the South Auditorium, North Auditorium, online, on television. So glad you guys have joined us. Back in the days when I used to counsel, there was an expression that I heard probably more than any other. You know, someone would come into my office, they would tell me what was going on in their life, and there was always that moment, I wouldn't like ask them, what are you here for? But they would understand, we'd reach that part of the conversation when they were going to tell me what the whim would look like. And here's what they would say over and over again. I just need to move on. I just need to get on with my life. Something had gone wrong, there had been a disappointment, a setback, there had been a, a moment of being frozen out, maybe there was a moment of downsizing, but in any event, this person was looking across the room at me saying, Mark, I need you to help me, I wanna move on with my life, I wanna get on with my life. And that's a great goal, to get on with our life, to move on, and I think in, in all of our lives here today, no matter what your circumstances, whether Almost everything is going well or almost nothing is going well. There's some aspects, some part of it where we need to move on. We need to move forward with our lives. But it's that last, it's that last part that gives me pause because what I saw a lot of times back when I counseled was that there were people who were moving around, but they weren't moving on. They would, they would, go, they would, they would do something different, they thought, but then it would come back to the same outcome. Maybe there was a broken relationship. And it fell. And the person said, I need to move on with my life. But it isn't long before he's dating someone else who's just like the person who was in the broken relationship before. Moving around but not moving on. How does a person move forward? Well, it isn't just in church because, as you know, our whole world is looking to move forward. I was getting ready for the talk and I saw that there were web pages that had to do with moving on. Uh, I found when to let go and move on. Ten useful steps to move on from a relationship. Five ways to move on when you still love your ex. Five ways to move on. Three ways to move on. Eight effective ways to let go and move on. Six real ways to move on after a breakup. <laughs> well, it shouldn't be hard, right? If you have all this source material to, to look for, why is it that so many people are looking for some way to move on? Well, for six weeks, we're going to talk about moving on, but I need to let you know the approach that we're going to take in this series. I'm not going to give you six steps to moving on. I'm going to take you to six different places in the Bible and show you six vignettes of people who were stuck, and they found a way, by the grace of God, to move on with their lives. And the reason why I'm taking this approach is I realize that your stuck may not look like my stuck. Your frozen may not look like my frozen. Your situation may be different from mine, and what you need to move on may be different from what I need to move on. So with that being the, the reality, we're going to look at six different places in the Bible, and we're going to see people who were stuck in all kinds of life ditches, and yet God allowed them to move on, to get on with their lives. First thing I have good news to tell you today is that God is the God of the moving on. God is not the God of the stuck. He is the God of the moving on. Whenever you open the Bible, it isn't long before you discover that God is into moving on. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, our first parents sinned, and they were at an impasse. But you and I know your Bible does not end in Genesis chapter 3 because God is the God of the moving on. There are all kinds of stories of people who have bad things happen to them, such, such bad things that we would almost wonder if they were going to be able to go on. For instance, Joseph sold by his brothers as a slave into Egypt. And yet you and I know that within 13 years, God would make him the most powerful man in the world. God is the God of the moving on. And even when people blow up their own lives, like the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, they brought her to Jesus' feet, threw her there, 
and said, Moses in the law says, stoner, what do you say? Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. What's the verb? Go and sin no more. He is the God of the moving on, and even when it comes to death. We've been at this location for 17 years, and I don't know how many times I've stood, hundreds, I guess, right in this spot beside a casket, and we've had a funeral service. And yet, even death itself cannot stop us. God is the God of the moving on. Well, let's unpack. Let's start today, because I want to just start with the most fundamental point of this idea of moving on. Every moving on story starts with the idea of being stuck. If you have any moving on story in your life, when you moved on from a a situation, the story will always begin with you being stuck or frozen or sidelined or left out. For instance, if you reached a point in your career where it all stalled and then you were able to move on, If you started telling me that story today, you would tell me about when you were stalled and how you moved on. So with that in mind today, I think let's just start at that universal point. We're going to talk about being stalled, stuck, frozen, sidelined, and we're going to go to that point. Now, what goes on, let's just think about this in generic terms, what is it that goes on in our lives that causes us to need to move on and yet we're stuck? I'm going to do my best to give you what I think it is. When we approach life, we look at what we need to do in order to make our move. Uh, whatever it is that, that is your goal in life, uh, whether you're talking about a relationship goal or you're talking about a career goal, we all know that you need to sort of build a platform by certain choices and activities and training and preparations. And so <clears throat> we start out to put ourselves in position to make our move. But life comes along And we discover oftentimes that it isn't going to go the way we thought. And some of that preparation that we were going to make in order to make our move gets taken off the table for us. Maybe we do something wrong. Maybe we didn't take something seriously we should have taken seriously. Maybe we met the wrong person and got into the wrong relationship. Could be something that we didn't have any control over. But somewhere along the line, enough things happened to the place where we find ourselves in a situation well, we don't feel like it's possible for us to move on. We are stuck. In fact, it, it's like someone, there used to be an old story about a guy who was asking directions. He got lost out in the country, and he was asking how to get somewhere. The old guy that he asked thought about it for a little while, and after a few moments, he said, you can't get there from here. And that's the feeling that we have. We just tried all these different things. They didn't work out. We thought we were going to be positioned in order to make our move, to get what we wanted to get out of life, and yet we find ourselves in a place where we feel like we can't get there from here. Well, guys, I want to tell you the most important thing, and it's going to sound simple, and yet it's brilliant, the most important thing that you and I need to know to move on when we get stuck in life. And I owe an assist to my dad, because my dad taught me this when I was a kid. Um, When I was growing up, I know this is hard for you to believe, but I was probably a little bit of a difficult child. There were only two living siblings in my family. My sister was 12 years older than I. She started college day. I started first grade. My sister, anybody grew up like me with your older sibling that just did everything right? I mean, she just did everything right. She, was, she never did anything to displease my parents. She was like Miss Perfect. And I mean that in a kind way. She just, she just did everything right. And I came along, and I could kind of like push boundaries a little bit. 
And so because of that, my dad sat on me pretty hard when I was growing up. He was pretty strict with me. And yet he did the most amazing thing when I turned 16. It was like dad just sort of backed off, kind of freaked me out. And he gave me more freedom than, than I would ever give my sons. I think he just knew that's Mark's personality. And if I sat on him too much, he's going to freak. But the thing that I remember the most about my dad as he raised me was um, <laughs> I could get into trouble for stuff, but it was like when I got into real trouble, it would be like my dad would pick that point instead of killing me like I thought he was going to, my dad would do something else. It was as if he would be sympathetic with me and he would slip his arm around my shoulders when I got into trouble. Maybe it was because dad knew I was punishing myself for it much harder than he could have ever punished me. And dad would put his arm around my shoulder and he would say the same thing. And he said it over and over throughout his life until he passed. Dad would say, Mark, you can't go from where you're not. You have to go from where you are. I remember the day I wrecked my car when I was 16 years old. My fault. I wrecked it. I wasn't paying attention. And I had a wreck. And I thought dad was going to kill me. I thought he was going to take away my keys. And I just was so upset about that. And I still remember this day dad putting his arm around my shoulders and saying, well, son, you can't go from where you're not. You have to go from where you are. You're okay. God has spared your life. We can fix the car. You can't go from where you're not. Now, listen, guys, that's not good grammar, but I have lived my life by that understanding. So many times life is going to put you where you didn't think you would be. See, you were going to position yourself. You, you were going to position yourself, meet the right people, get the right education, make the right career moves. You were going to get the right influence. You're going to read the right books, and you were going to get yourself in position to where you could launch and go do what it was that you wanted to do. The only problem was this happened, that happened, this didn't happen. And the next thing you know, you find yourself a long way away from your launch point, and you're wondering, am I still going to be able to move forward? Well, today, I just want to, my dad's in heaven, but I'm going to give him credit for this. I just want to give you a message called, you can't go from where you're not. See, the thing, the challenge for us is when we are not where we want to be, the, the challenge for us is to still look forward. Because what happens to us is when we find ourselves in a bad spot, we tend to turn around and look at the past, look at, look, look at what's behind us. The past, or what's behind us is a dangerous place to look when you need to go forward. Now, why do we do that? When life doesn't work out the way that we wanted it to, why do we start looking into the past. And, and, and there's a legitimate place for this. Obviously, we all need to do correct analysis on what didn't go wrong. But there's, a, there's a season for that. But why is it that we get frozen looking into the past when we need to move forward? Well, it could be if we don't think that we have any future, that's the only direction to look. Or it could be that if somebody comes along and asks us why we're stalled, we'll have an answer for them. But guys, I just want to tell you today, that there's a reason why you don't have to look into the past if you're not where you want to be. And, and here it is. If I read to you the, the, all those web pages that tell you about eight ways to move on, seven, seven ways to move on, really what most of those pages are going to tell you about is what you can do yourself in order to move on after you've had a difficult experience. There is one major difference between all those web pages in this series. And that major difference is God. Because see, here's the thing. If I tell you, look, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Well, every grammar 
Every teacher of grammar in this room knows there's an understood subject in that. It's understood you as the subject. When life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Well, that's what this series is about. We're wasting our time because you can get all this kind of stuff on the internet. But what I want to tell you today is that you are not alone. You know, sometimes when I'm working on a sermon, I'll get some sort of visual metaphor in my mind. And when I thought about this first message, I thought about, you know how it is when you're driving out on the highway and you see some car that's been left on the side of the road? And if it's been there long enough, the highway patrol, the police department will come put a sticker on that car. You know what I think? I think that that's a metaphor for some of us. We just feel like we've, we've been left and abandoned. And I just want to say to you today, I've got good news for you. You're not abandoned. It's true. You can't go from where you're not, but you can go from here because there is a God who loves you, who cares about you, and he is the God of the moving on. And so today, you may not be where you want to be. You may not be where you plan to be. You may not like where you are. But don't let yourself get trapped into looking into the past because you can't go from where you're not. You have to go from where you are. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you take that statement, well, let's, let's make it personal. Instead of me saying you can't go from where you are, let's just embrace that for a moment. Let's say I can't go from where I'm not. Now, when I make that statement, I can't go from where I'm not, I've really given two problems. There's the word from in there that's a location word, but on either side of the word from, there are two three-word phrases. And those two three-word phrases are my issue. If I say I can't go from where I'm not, there are two problems. I can't go and where I'm not. See, what traps most of us is we spend our energy focusing on the second one of those problems, where I'm not. I mean, when, if, if you're here t today with, and you're stalled, it's just easier to think about that being the issue, where I'm not. If I'd married somebody else, if I'd taken a different job, if I'd taken better care of my health, you know, where I'm not. And, and we just focus on where I'm not. But Today, I want to challenge you to let go of that three-word phrase and realize that the real issue is the first part, I can't go. See, here's the thing. Where I'm not is a hypothetical place. Where I'm not is a fictional place. It is a place I would have liked to have been, but it does me no good because I'm not there. I need to let that go and realize my issue is I can't go. And when I get to the place when I want to go, where I need to go forward more than I worry about where I wish I was, then I'm ready for God to work in my life. But let me take you now to a story. It's in the book of Genesis chapter 32. And I want to read the verse, verse 24. The Bible says, so Jacob was left alone. Now, I don't know... If you're stuck today, I don't know how you got stuck. I mean, there's so many different ways of getting stuck, but the one thing I know about all of us who get stuck in life, it'll make you feel alone. You can be in a crowd and still feel alone. And Jacob is alone in chapter 32. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, or at least if you've read some of the Bible, or if you've seen some of the television shows about the Bible, you know a little bit about Jacob, I'm sure. Jacob is one of the original families of the nation of Israel. 
His grandfather was Abraham. His father was Isaac. Jacob is the man who will have 12 sons, and they will become eventually the 12 tribes of Israel. So we know he's a serious player. But there's something that you need to know about Jacob, and I'll give you a little backstory. Jacob is a twin, and his brother Esau came out first. Now, in our world, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But in Jacob's world, it was huge. It was like being right there at the finish line and being just half a step behind the person who won. Because in, th- in that world, everything pretty well went to the old- older son if there were two sons in a family. And then Jacob would get the leftovers. And you think about that. <laughs> to be a twin and to be the second born. Now, the Bible tells us that when these two boys were born, they were very different. They clearly were not identical twins. Because when Esau, the older, was born, he was born covered with hair. And he, was, he turned out to be a real outdoor guy. We would call him a man's man. He grew up, he played football, baseball. You know, he just, man's man, rode a Harley, had a jacked up four by four. <laughs> loved to hunt, loved to fish. He's daddy's boy. Jacob was what we used to call in the late 90s a metrosexual. Jacob liked to watch the cooking channel. He's a mama's boy. Boy, how many of of you know this this is not going to end well in this family? You know, all you need to blow up a family is to have daddy love one kid and mama love the other kid. (laughs) When Jacob was born, this is true, when the birth process happened and Esau came out, Jacob had his hand wrapped around Esau's ankle. You you, you remember when you were a kid and you're running and some kid jumps out of nowhere and trips you, grabs your ankle? Well, they named Jacob after that because that's the kind of thing that somebody would do to cheat or to trick. And so, honestly, I don't know if they intended for this to be his name or if it just came to be the way he was known after a while. Uh, The name Jacob, and I'm sorry for anybody here named Jacob... Your parents just should have done a little bit more research before they named you. (laughs) Or Jake or James. Jacob means little cheater. (laughs) Or tricky. We were pregnant with our second son, and we were going to call him James Caleb. Mary Alice called me from work one day. She said, do you know what James Caleb means? She said, James is a derivative of Jacob that means tricky, and Caleb means dog. She said, we're about to call this kid Tricky Dog. (laughs) (laughs) So we named him Jared Michael. But that's it, a little cheat. You know, I got up early this morning. I was just doing some reading on history, and you know what I discovered? I discovered that, that Jacob's name was really not polite to be used in public. Because it meant cheater. I mean, can you just see them? I mean, here's Esau and Jacob going to school. You know Esau, man, he's, everybody wants to hang with Esau. I mean, he's like the football stud, you know. And everybody, who's your little brother? Oh, that's a little cheater. <laughs> that's a little cheater. And he lived up to his name all right. I mean, if you read, and we don't have a, long, a lot of time to go into this today, but if you read about the first part of Jacob's life, it was like Jacob, Jacob's target was Esau. How can he get the best of Esau? 
Because after all, Jacob wants what Esau's going to get. Esau's going to get two things that are important to Jacob. See, this is a covenant relationship family. This is the beginning of the nation of Israel. And so there were two things that were important that were going to Esau. The birthright, which was the spiritual leadership of the family, which ultimately would mean you were the one who was basically the beginning of the nation of Israel and ultimately the line through which the Messiah would come. That's the spiritual leadership of the family. And then the blessing. God had promised Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And so the father had the opportunity to confer that blessing on to the son, which would give this son great capability to make money. <laughs> no, Esau didn't care anything about the spiritual leadership of the family, but he was into the money. Well, Jacob did two things, a little cheater. He did two things. Number one, he decided that he was going to find some way to swindle his brother or to trade him out of the birthright. And one day Esau had been hunting and he'd been out, you know, he'd been out so long that he was starving to death and he came in and Jacob was making a food channel recipe for chili. And Esau said, hey, Baba, give me some of that chili. Jacob said, how much is it worth to you? So I said, I'm starving. Jacob, don't mess with me. Jacob said, tell you what, sell me your birthright. I had Esau, I don't care about any of that spiritual stuff. Just give me a bowl of chili. And he sold him his birthright. But what Jacob did next was really bad. Because you see, it was time for the blessing, and their daddy's eyesight was getting bad. And so the dad said to Esau, hey, son, it's time for me to confer the blessing on you. I want you to go out and kill me a, kill me a deer and bring in the venison, spice it up the way I like, and I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to put the blessing on you. Now, mama overheard that, and she said to Jacob, we're going to get that. And, and Jacob said, well, I don't know how to get that. She said, I'll help you. Oh, the apple didn't fall far from the tree on that tricky business, did it? She said, you know what? You spice up meat. One meat tastes like another meat. Go out and get one of those little goats, and, and I'll spice it up, and I'll cook it the way your daddy likes it. And then Jacob said, but wait a minute. He'll know I'm not Esau. I don't smell like Esau. I'm not hairy like Esau. She said, we'll fix that. She put Esau's clothes on him. And then on top of that, she straps some goat fur on him. Well, Esau must have been something. <laughs> and Jacob goes in there with that tray of meat and says, hey, I'm Esau. And Isaac said, wow, how'd you kill that deer so fast? Jacob said, the Lord brought it to me. Hmm. And Isaac said, well, the voice sounds like Jacob. You smell like Esau. And so he put the blessing on Jacob. When Esau came in and he found out what happened, and he found out that it couldn't be reversed, Esau said, I am going to kill him. And Jacob now has to run for his life. His mother sends him to live with her brother named Laban. And for the next 20 years, Jacob will live with Laban. And during that time, these two guys are world-class cheaters. They cheat each other out of stuff. I mean, I'm not, I, don't, I shouldn't spend any more time on this because I need to get to what the message is about, but you can read this. You know, when, when Jacob moves there, he falls in love with Laban's younger daughter, uh, Rachel. And, and so he says to Laban, I will work seven years for your daughter. And so he works seven years for her. How many of you husbands would work seven years for your wife? Don't raise your hand. You're in church. 
And that night, when it came time for Laban to bring Jacob, his bride, it's dark, and he brings in Rachel's older sister. Now, you know what Rachel means? I didn't say this last night. Rachel means little you lamb. You sort of get the feeling she's just sort of this delicate, tender thing. You know what her sister's name means? It means cow. That's a fact. So the next morning when Jacob wakes up, he doesn't have Rachel. He doesn't have little tender, doe-eyed Rachel. He's got her sister. I mean, they do this to each other for 20 years. But after a while, it all breaks down, and finally Jacob has to leave. Now Jacob's got a problem. He can't hardly go back home because his brother said he would kill him, and he can't stay where he is. Jacob is locked in between his past and his present with no place to go. You know, think about this. Jacob has spent the first 40 years of his life running after what he wanted and running from all the damage that he created trying to get what he wanted. I just described a lot of people right there, didn't I? And so he now is headed back toward home in the hopes that somehow Esau is not going to kill him. Maybe Esau forgot. But by this point, Jacob is a very rich man. He has huge herds and flocks. He has two wives, one he didn't want, one he did want. He's got kids. He's got so much now. But the only problem is there's no place to go. He can't go. I mean, he's scared to go home because Esau's there, and he can't go back because his father-in-law. In fact, if you read the text, the father-in-law said to him, I could destroy you. So, I mean, Jacob has got people wanting to kill him. In both places. But as I said, he pulls the last trick that he knows to do. He, he, he starts positioning groups of livestock at the front of his procession. And his purpose is to give presents to Esau. So that when Esau comes and he says, what is this? That one of Jacob's servants would say, oh, this belongs to Jacob, but he is giving it to you as a present. And then he had another group of livestock. He was hoping that, you know, if, if, this, if this happened enough, maybe Esau would say, okay, let's let bygones be got bygones. And then he puts the wife he doesn't like as much next. <laughs> this is true. And then his favorite wife at the very back. And he's all by himself. And I should let you know that Jacob knows at this point that Esau has not forgotten. He's been given the message that Esau is on his way and he's got an army of 400 men with him. The reason why I've set this story up is I want you to see the story of a guy whose name is Cheater. And I want you to see how that he's lived his whole life trying to play the angles and get what he wants. And finally, he's out of tricks. There's a story about a chess master who was going with a friend through one of the great art museums in Europe. And he, as he and his friend were walking through the museum, there was a picture of two people playing chess. Clearly, one of them was the devil, and the other was an ordinary person. And the devil was leering because clearly he had won, and the title of the picture was Checkmate. 
And this chess master kept staring at the picture. And his friend said, hey, come on, let's go. And he said, no, 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 it's something wrong with this picture. And, and he said, go, go on, there's so many other pictures to see. Well, it's not that great a picture. He said, yeah. He said, wait a minute, there's just something wrong with this chessboard. He said, something I, I can't quite figure out. And then he clapped his hands and he said, you know what? He said, this artist has got to change something. He's either got to change the title of his picture or he's got to change the picture. Because he said, the king has one more move. Now listen to me. When you get stuck like Jacob and you don't think you can go forward, you may not have another move, but the king has one more move. Now, I know I'm talking to 21st century Americans, and you say, Mark, I listen, I, I don't know about God's stuff. Well, then, okay, then be on your own. But I'm telling for all of you who got stuck and you just say, I want to go forward, I want you to know you may not have another move, but God has another move. And the question is, am I going to let God have that move, or am I going to demand that I keep running the show? Well, let's look what happens next. Let me read this to you because we'll, we'll need to get out of here pretty quick. In Genesis 32, verse 24, the Bible says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. This is one of the strangest stories in the Bible, but it's really cool. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now, here's a, this is just a cool story. I don't have time to develop it, but it's just real cool. Jacob is all by himself. Next thing you know, he gets jumped in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night. Now, if you're Jacob, you're thinking, maybe it's Esau, maybe it's one of his guys. It isn't. It's God. I've shared with you before that there are things in the Bible called Christophanies or, or theophanies, visual manifestations of pre-incarnate Christ. This is just Jesus showing up before he was born. That's what goes on here. There's no doubt about it. This is not an ordinary angel. This is Jesus. Just strange. Look at, look at the story. All night long, Jacob is wrestling with this guy, and this guy is not able to prevail, but when he gets through with the wrestling match, he just touches Jacob, and Jacob limps. So clearly, Jacob is in a wrestling match with God. Now, you know, let me give you maybe the best illustration I can give you to help you understand that God is not worried about overcoming Jacob. You ever, dads, you ever wrestle with your little kids? And on the floor, and you get them, and they're wrestling on the floor, and you're saying, oh, you're beating me, you're beating me. But, you know, your dad. And that's sort of what's going on here between God and Jacob. And it starts off, I'm sure, with Jacob trying to get away. But when Jacob realizes who he's dealing with, it is so interesting. And I wish I knew how to preach this because there is this transition point where Jacob goes from trying to get away from God to pursuing God. He starts off with, how can I get away from this guy who has jumped me to when he realizes who it is? Jacob is saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. All throughout this chapter, Jacob just keeps asking God to bless him. Will you bless me? He was telling God, you promised to bless me. You were going to bless me. And now look at where I am. Well, put yourself in Jacob's place. What would be blessing to Jacob's mind? 
Jacob is like, help me beat Esau. Work with me for a moment. Why did God deal with Jacob the way he dealt with him? Because clearly God could have helped him beat Esau. Jacob's problem was not beating Esau. Jacob's problem was being Jacob. Do you see that moment when the Lord is wrestling with Jacob and he's just about to go and the Lord asks him, what is your name? Well, that's the thing that Jacob told people last. I mean, his name wasn't even polite to say in public. But there is that moment where Jacob wants to be blessed so much that he says to God, my name is Cheater. And then God said, not anymore. Not anymore. Your name was Cheater. From now on, it is going to be Israel, which means connected to God. Jacob means connected. See, the word is a play on, the, it's a play on words for heal. It means connected. A good rabbi friend taught me this. It means connected to the earth. Israel means connected with God. See, here's the thing. Jacob didn't need to beat Esau. He needed to not be Jacob anymore. And God said, I'm going to change who you were to who you are. And you're not where you want to be, but it's okay. Because with the grace of God, God is saying, you can go from here. Some of us today, we think our problems with, we're wrestling with our mother-in-law, we're wrestling with our boss, we're wrestling with the people that live next door, we're wrestling with the person that's trying to break up our relationship, we're wrestling with this person. Listen, our biggest wrestling is with who we are. And if we will come to God and say, God, my name is lust. God, my name is pride. God, my name is selfishness. My God is, my name is I want my own way. My name, my name is anger. My name is Cheat. And God, see, that's the thing. You know, it's okay to come tell God who you are because God is not limited to who you were. God is able to come and meet you where you are. Maybe you're not where you wanted to be, but God will say to you, you can't go from where you're not, but you can go from here. I will take you. I will change you. I will make you into a different person, and I will relaunch you into a new future. Now, I don't know how to preach this, but I will tell you this. You know, Jacob was different when he came out of that. See, here's the thing. A lot of us, we, we stubbornly hold on to life the way we wanted it. Jacob always limped after this experience. You know, what I've discovered is some of the things that I've been through that have redefined me have caused me to limp a little bit when I came out of that experience, but the change that I experienced with God was so wonderful that it was okay anyway. Here is the question I have for you today. Are you willing to let the God who defined you redefine you? He is able. This and I'm through. A couple years ago, on a Sunday afternoon, Mary Alice did what we've done a lot of times in the last 31 years. As soon as the service was over here, we got in the car and drove to Texas. Our, Mary Alice's parents still live there. We're both from Fort Worth. 
I guess hundreds of times we've done that. And when we were driving into Fort Worth, I got off I-35 pretty far north um, to be in Keller because Texan that I am, I love barbecue, and there's barbecue places I like there. And so we got off and went on one of the side roads, one of the state highways. And as I looked up on the left, I saw a church building. And all of a sudden, memories started coming back. It was 36 years ago. That church was pastored by a friend of my father's. I had known him since I was a little boy. But 36 years ago, one week, I got a phone call from him, this pastor, and he said, Mark, is there any way that you can come speak for me this weekend? He said, I'm not feeling well. He said, I think I've got a sinus infection. He said, would you come and speak for me? And I did. And unfortunately, he didn't have a sinus infection. He had a brain tumor. And he died pretty shortly after that. During the time of his illness, I'd spoken for his church a couple of times. Now, about six months pass, and I don't even think anymore about it other than I remember this dear pastor. But I get a phone call from a man named Pearson. Now, he is head of a pulpit committee. Now, if you're not a custom to church talk. Let me tell you what a pulpit committee is. This is a search committee to, to re- recommend a pastor. And so to my utter amazement, he calls me and he says, hey, he said, you know, we've had 55 pastors apply to have this church and we're narrowed down to two selections. Well, I wasn't even one of those guys. I didn't apply for that church, didn't even think about it. He said, we've narrowed it down to two selections. One was a friend of my father's who was my father's age, and the other was me. I'm 24 years old. But I will tell you this, at the moment he said that to me, I was like, oh, because, you know, let me just tell you, one of the toughest things in life is when you think you have figured out where God is going in your life, and then all of a sudden, he doesn't do what you think he's going to do, and it's like, oh, God, I don't understand Well, anyway, this church kept contacting me, and they asked, would you come speak for us, and would you just, like, come sit down with our leadership? And I did that, and so they were all excited. And, you know, I could just feel the vibe. I grew up, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in church. I knew this church couldn't wait for me to get there, and I was so excited about it. And if you know anything about that swath of North Fort Worth from Watauga to Keller to Smithfield to Colleyville all the way over to North Dallas, you know that's the fastest-growing area in the Metroplex, and it even was 35 years ago. And I was looking at that thinking, I can see my future from here. God has opened this magnificent door for me to minister in this fast-growing part of the Metroplex. And I'm a Texan. And look, God's going to leave me in Fort Worth in my hometown. I can still remember the night I got a phone call from Mr. Pearson. I can still see where I was in my apartment. He called me and he said, we're excited. We want you to come be our pastor. He says, universal. The whole church wants you to come. And he said, oh, by the way, you are 32, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm 24. Uh, I mean, I understand now why that was a deal breaker 
But there were all kinds of leaders that tried to speak into this situation. The president of the college I attended said, hey, trust me on this. Mark is more mature at 24 than most guys are at 45. He was saying, you know, you, he'd go ahead and bring him on anyway. But they couldn't do it, and they just decided to go a different direction. I cannot tell you how disappointed I was. You ready to hear me? When you're on God's timetable in God's will, which we'll talk about next week, a disappointment with this world is just an appointment with God. I, was, I don't usually get depressed over stuff, but I just felt like that was the worst thing that could happen to me. To be, have that taken away on such an elective basis. And yet that day when I drove past it, I had just left New Spring that morning. In those days, 6,000 was still a big audience for us. We'd had 6,000 that day. We'd have many people accept Christ. We'd had all kinds of extraordinary things happen at New Spring. And when I drove by that building, I looked at it. It was the same building. that It was the same size as it was 35 years ago. They didn't even have a website. You know what I'm saying is this. What I thought was a disappointment was God's way of saying, hey, I have an appointment for you in another place. See, I'd never gotten to know you. I'd never gotten to know you. I wouldn't be here today. And all over this building, there are people that didn't get what they thought they wanted. But that's not the question. The question is, are you willing to let God, are you, letting, are you willing to let the one who defines your life redefine it? So you're not where you wanted to be. So you don't like the place where you are. So you didn't plan to be here. So it's not your fault. You can't go from where you're not. You can only go from where you are. But if you are willing to let God take charge of things and you're willing to own up with who you are, he can change you, he can reposition you, he can put you where he wants to be and what is a disappointment with this world can be an appointment with a sovereign God who's got your destiny in his hands. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next weekend.